Well, thank you, Josiah. Thank you, for Mar thank you, Mary. That is a very precious truth. There are a lot of very precious truths in that song. Marvelous. Can I interrupt for just a second? Um, children may be dismissed to Children's Church. I apologize, I forgot that. It's a marvelous thing to look forward to that coming day. We need to have our affections and our thoughts set on things above, don't we? It's so easy to get tied up with all the busyness and all the hurry and scurry of this world around us. What we'd like to do um, this morning is we'd like to turn, first of all, to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Before we look at it, though, let's just pause and ask the Lord to help us, to lead us into truth. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that you've given to us. We thank you that you've revealed yourself to us through it. And Lord, we pray for the ministry of the Holy Spirit even here in our midst this morning to teach us and to lead us into truth. Lord, keep us from error. But Lord, we just pray that our hearts might be filled and thrilled with the word, with the word of God, with the Lord Jesus, the living word, and with yourself. Lord, bless us, we pray. We ask it in your precious name. Amen. So what we're thinking about speaking on this morning is the idea of being transformed into the image of our Lord. Transformed. Transformed. If we were to look up just the meaning in a regular English dictionary of the word transformed, it's to change the form of something, the outward appearance of something, or maybe change the personality or character of something. Now, when we come to the biblical usage of the word, um, we really only, in the King James Version anyway, we only find that word used in about three different portions, and it leads you to two different Greek words, and I can't pronounce them, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I did notice, though, that one of them looks very much like our English word metamorphosis. I'm going to try to pronounce the, the Greek one, it's something like metamorphosis metamorpho or something like that. Anyway, both, both of those Greek words uh, refer to a change, but somewhat of a different kind of change. Um, word number one might possibly be in, um, illustrated by, and this is somebody else's illustration, but illustrated by changing a Dutch garden to an Italian garden. Okay, that's word number one. Second word would be like changing the garden, shall we say, into a ball field, something totally different. And that's the one that um, sounds and looks very much like metamorphosis. In metamorphosis, um, if you were to go to your biology class, you'd see probably a tadpole, tadpole changed into a frog or a caterpillar changed into a butterfly, that kind of thing. Well, in, in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it's this metamorphosis word that we see. Let's read the verse. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be metamorphosized, transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
so as we look at this verse, we see perhaps the first thing, the way to be metamorphosized, and that is through the renewing of our mind. The renewing of our mind. Our mind is wicked, our mind is sinful, we, we think the way the world thinks, but it needs to be changed, right? The end in view is proving, finding out, tasting, experiencing the good, the acceptable will of God. And the pathway to finding it out is through this change, this metamorphosis, this transformation that needs to take place. The opposite is expressed in this verse also, in verse 2, conformity to the world. It says, be not conformed to the world, but be ye metamorphosized. In other words, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold, but be a changed person for the Lord. The old way our minds operate has to go. It has to be replaced. I had a professor in college, that's many years ago now, but uh, who illustrated this um, renewing of your mind in, in this way. He compared the mind to a big, open, empty lot. And uh, from work, shall we say, to home, I cut across that lot. I take a shortcut. And I've always done it that way. In fact, I have my own little well-beaten path going through that lot. But I find out that I'm not supposed to go that way. And so the day after I find out, I find myself halfway down the path. And I tell myself, oh, whoops, uh, next time I'll have to remember. But the next day I find myself two-thirds of the way down the path. And I say, oh, how am I going to remember? And I keep going. Well, what he suggested was, when you remember, you're halfway down the path or however far, when you remember, retrace your steps, go back to the beginning and do it the right way. And soon you will remember. And then he compared that to the well-worn little footpath, the natural direction of my wicked mind, I need to retrace my steps by repentance and then lead my thoughts in the ways that please the Lord. Just a little illustration. Transformation comes through the renewing of my mind. And very closely related to that, transformation comes through beholding in a glass the glory of the Lord. And for this, we turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and verse 18, turn with me there if you will. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. Here it says, But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed. There we have that same word. We, we're metamorphosized. We're changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. The context here is about Moses when he came down from the Mount of God and how the Israelites couldn't even look at his face because of the glory, the glory of his countenance. Moses's was a fading glory. It passed away, and he covered his face to, to hide that fact. But here it says, we with uncovered face can come to 
the word of God, and we can see God's reflected glory as in a mirror, and we can bask in it, and just like Moses took on some of the glory of his God, we also can be metamorphosized, transformed, changed into the glory of our God. Dr. J. Sidlow Baxter said one time, you become like that at which you most continually look. He had his own British way of saying things. But what he meant was, as we spend time looking at the glory of God, we take on some of God's glory ourselves. We're changed from glory to glory. As we spend time in the word of God, beholding the glory of God, we become transformed. Of course, just like it says in the book of James, um, we can't come to the word of God and be a forgetful hearer and then just go away and be unchanged. It won't do us any good that way. But as we spend time basking in the glory of our God, we'll be transformed into his image and it is a process, it says, from glory to glory, little by little, more and more. doesn't happen overnight. But it's not a fading glory. It's like more and more we're becoming like our glorious God. We don't want to pass over one important aspect here in this verse. It says, as by the Spirit of the Lord. In other words, it's not just us pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps or turning over a new leaf or just trying to do it ourselves. It's God, by his Holy Spirit, working in our lives. God, the Holy Spirit, through the word of God, changing us more and more and more into the image of God himself. But let's think also about some hindrances to being transformed into his image. Why is it that sometimes, or some of us, don't seem to really see much transformation taking place in our lives? Well, a given from what we've looked at already is perhaps we're not spending much time in the word of God. We're so busy with everything else that we just don't seem to have time or we just don't have much interest maybe. I don't know. Um, I remember sitting in an airplane one time and sitting beside a gentleman and we got to talking a little bit. And um, in the course of the conversation, he told me that he goes to church twice a month and usually just when somebody kind of reminded him or got after him and... Uh, he read his Bible, but just the, just the Gospel of John. And I, I found that sort of interesting. I didn't know why he did just the Gospel of John. But you know, that's better than some folks, isn't it? Some folks don't even hardly read their Bibles at all. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 and 3 tell us that just like a newborn baby, as a newborn baby, we should desire, we should long after the sincere milk of the word, God's word, so that we can grow. You know, when you have a baby in your home, that baby's always wanting some milk, right? Again and again during the day, there's growing to do. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12 tells us, 
by this time you ought to be teachers, but you still need, you, have, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of what God has said. You've come to need milk and not solid food. In other words, God really wants us to be growing to the point where we can be teaching and helping and discipling others rather than still on the milk bottle. And we might ask, well, why? From that same portion there, it says they become dull of hearing. Dull of hearing. And I don't know, I like to say if the shoe fits, put it on. Um, if the truth applies to you, appropriate and learn the lesson. Maybe you're here in church, maybe you kind of just dream through the service. Maybe you're thinking about other things. Or maybe when it's Bible reading time, you maybe just do it because... You don't want to feel guilty. You feel like you should. Dull of hearing. Dull of hearing. We need to bask. We need to just soak in the word of God. Beholding the glory of God. God wants us, as we've said already, in the position where we can be teaching and helping others and encouraging them in their walk with God. Another reason, perhaps, for little transformation in our lives could be our understanding or maybe misunderstanding of Christian liberty. And you say, well, that's a different subject. How do we get onto that? Well, the portion that we're looking at here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18, the verse right before it says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Also back in verse 6 of the same portion, it says, God has made us ministers of the New Testament or New Covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the spirit killeth the or excuse me, for the letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. You know, we're no longer under the letter of the law. That's the old covenant. We're under the new covenant. We no longer have to keep the letter of the law. We have liberty now and life in comparison to keeping the letter of the law, which kills. In between verse 6 and verse 18, it's referring to the glory of the Old Testament and how that glory is far surpassed by the glory of the New Testament. And included with that and in that is this liberty in Christ. Continues right on into verse 18. But we are being metamorphosized into his image from glory to glory. Our liberty in Christ or, or our understanding of liberty in Christ cannot and must not keep us from being changed or transformed into the image of our God. In other words, if I think liberty in Christ means that I can do anything I want to do, then I'm not going to be changed into his image. Verse 17, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liber liberty. But in Galatians chapter 5, and verse 13, brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, but Use not liberty as an occasion to the flesh. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16. Walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Romans chapter 13 and verse 14. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. And then Galatians 5.25. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. I've used this illustration on various different occasions, and I kind of like it, I guess. It's probably made up, but a man and a lady got married. Not long after their wedding day, the husband produced a long list of rules for his new wife, a detailed list written down on paper. 
and life became a drudgery for her. It seemed as if she were chained and shackled by rules and regulations. And this went on for quite some time. Finally, her husband died. And in the course of time, she remarried, and this time it was a love relationship, no list of rules. The years went by, and she forgot all about the rules. One day, while up in the attic, she found that list from her former husband, her former marriage. And she started down the list out of curiosity. She was surprised. She was doing all the same things in this new marriage, but the basis was love not bondage. We can take that little story and use it to represent the old covenant with the law and the legalism and the bondage. And the second marriage then would represent the new covenant, the church age, the day of grace. There's freedom from the bondage. There's freedom from legalism. There's liberty in Christ. But... In our liberty, we need to not fail to become what God wants us to become. He wants to change us into his image from glory to glory. Back to Romans chapter 12, if you will, chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2. By the mercies of God... I beseech you that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. In other words, the basis on the basis of his love for you, give him everything. Not out of obligation, but because he loves you. It's the only proper thing to do. That's where it says it's your reasonable service. By the mercies of God, I beseech you to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. A living sacrifice, it's been said that the trouble with a living sacrifice is that it keeps crawling off the altar, right? Well, maybe we need to apply Psalm 118, verse 27, where it says, bind the sacrifice with cords, even unto the horns of the altar. Maybe there's areas in your life where things used to be sacrificed to the Lord, but, they're no longer, but they no longer are. Let's, let's bind them with cords to the altar. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto the Lord. The word holy there, you know, in our liberty, we need to remember that God wants us to be holy. It's one of his essential attributes. And when we're being metamorphosized, changed, transformed into his image, it's going to become more and more one of our attributes as well, holiness. When we started out, we referred to two Greek words. So far, we've looked just at the one. But the second one, we're going to find in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 14 and 15, if you'll turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 14 and 15. And remember <clears throat> that we kind of illustrated the change that this word speaks of as just a change from one kind of garden to a different kind of garden. In other words, there, there's a change involved, but 
not much of a change. In these verses, we find that uh, they speak about Satan and some of his followers. Chapter 11, verses 14 and 15. No marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. In other words, there's a change, but really they're not... Satan isn't really an angel of light. His ministers aren't really ministers of righteousness. It's more of a disguise is what it is. And that's part of the meaning of that word. So we as believers want to be metamorphosized, completely, absolutely, totally changed into the image of our God, not just putting on a facade or the appearance of being changed. Not just so that people will think that we're doing okay or whatever. We want to be totally changed into the image of our glorious God. Growing, coming to the place where we can say to others, follow me as I follow Christ. Coming to the point where we can be teaching others because we ourselves are walking with the Lord. And that's when we'll start reaching others for the Lord Jesus as well, I believe. Now I think what we're going to do is we're going to just take, we're just going to practice a little bit. In other words, we're supposed to be basking in the glory of our God. So we're just going to practice a little bit. So turn with me, if you will, to Exodus chapter 15 and verse 6. We're going to look at some verses that have to do with the glory of our God. Just think about them. Bask in his presence for a short time here. Exodus chapter 15 and verse 6. Okay, the verse reads, Thy right hand, O Lord, is become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, has dashed in pieces the enemy. So I think we could say the Lord is glorious in power from that verse. The context is the Israelite people, when they went through the Red Sea on dry ground, the Egyptians followed them into the midst of the sea. The Lord made the wheels come off the chariots, the horses just dragging those old buggies with no wheels. You can imagine that. And then the Lord causes the water to come back in on them. And not a single one of those soldiers lived to tell the story. Their dead bodies washed up on the shore. And Israel saw and they feared the Lord and they believed. And the verse that we're looking at is in in Moses' song of praise, thy right hand, O Lord, is become glorious in power. So God's power is part of what makes him glorious. He can do anything. Our God can do anything. Verse 9, the enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. That was what their plan was. He had men on a mission, men with a purpose, strong men, soldiers, army, army men. But verse 10 you, Lord, blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank as lead in the mighty waters. In verse 11, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? There's no one like our God. God can do anything. He's glorious in power. 
You may have noticed that I stopped reading in the middle of Exodus 15 and verse 11. It goes on. Who is like thee, glorious in holiness? So there's another attribute that we can think about. God's holiness. Marginal reference in my Bible leads me to holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 32. This whole idea of holiness ties in very much with the idea of being set apart, being transformed into his image. He's set apart from sin. He's set apart in righteousness. There's no one like him. He's free from defilement. He's absolutely pure. He hates sin. Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 13, he is of pure eyes. Then to behold evil cannot look on wickedness. Job chapter 34 and verse 10, far be it from God that he should do wickedness and from the Almighty that he should commit iniquity. About 30 times just in the book of Isaiah alone, he call, he's called the Holy One of Israel. The Lord Jesus also is called the Holy One. 1 John chapter 2 verse 20 and Mark chapter 1 and verse 24. I think a question for us might be, does the holiness of God fill us with awe and reverence? If we take some time and think about it, it should be something wonderful to us. It should be glorious. It is glorious. We should thank him. In fact, in, in Psalm 30, it says, give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. You see, what I'm trying to illustrate here is we're basking, we're thinking, we're spending some time meditating on the glory of our God. And as we do that kind of thing, we are changed from glory to glory, according to the verses we were looking at. Not shying away from his holiness, but soaking it up, thrilled by it, enthralled with it, and thankful for it. He's also um, glorious in judgment. Isaiah chapter 63, the first three verses, if you want to turn there. Isaiah 63, verses 1 through 3. It's kind of like a conversation between the, the prophet Isaiah and the Lord God. Isaiah starts out, Who is this that comes from Eden with dyed garments from Bosra? This that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. And then the Lord answers, I that speak righteousness, mighty to save. And then Isaiah again speaking, why is your apparel red and your garment like one who treads in the winepress? And the Lord's answer, I have trodden the winepress alone. I have trodden them in mine anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled on my garments and I have stained all my robes. So a picture, really, of judgment, I think. And yet, we saw the word glorious in there, right? God is glorious, even in judgment. One example might be in the book of Revelation, chapter 15 and verse 8, the temple was filled with the smoke, with smoke from the glory of the Lord and his power. No man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. Glorious. 
You are righteous, O Lord. Also from the book of Revelation. The one who is, who was, who is to be, because you have judged these things. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. Even so, Lord God, almighty, true, and righteous are your judgments. Revelation 19, 1 and 2. Glory to the Lord our God, because his judgments are true and righteous. And he has judged the great whore and avenged the blood of his servants. So, so far we've thought about God being glorious in holiness, glorious in his power, glorious in judgment. There's other things we could look at also. His kingdom, glorious in his reign. The moon shall be con confounded, Isaiah 24, verse 23. The moon shall be confounded, the sun ashamed, when the Lord of hosts shall reign in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and before his elders gloriously, gloriously. Psalm 145, verse 5, I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty and of thy wondrous works. Verse 12, to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Verse 13, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His work is glorious. The work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, of course, is glorious. Creation is glorious. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. When it refers to salvation according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God. Could go on. But that's just an illustration, just a sample of how we can bask, how we can spend time thinking about our God, meditating in the word of God about our glorious God. And the verses that we were considering tell us that as we do so, we will be changed from glory to glory into his image. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you.